state your name for the record, please. Uh, my name is Prey. I'm Sitchanukrit. 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 Yep. Pretty close. Live from Thoughtbot Studio in Boston, Massachusetts. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is October 1st. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I am here with Prem Sichunagrist. How are you doing, Prem? I'm doing good. Thanks. Awesome. So, Prem, you are a developer here at ThoughtBot. Is that right? Yep. Cool. How long have you been here? Uh, Nine months. Yeah, my anniversary is going to be like... Uh, in October 1st. Awesome. Uh, your anniversary is when this comes out? Yeah, so oh, that's... Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And by it comes out, I mean it's definitely the first today, and we didn't record this early at all. Uh-oh. Yeah. The cover's blown. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're not broadcasting exactly live. There's a slight delay between ThoughtBot and the world. Yeah. But you're getting it pretty close to real. So we wanted to talk today about Rails version 1? No, version 4. Version 4. Version 4 is in the works. It's almost released, right? We're getting pretty close? Yeah, we are so close. There's like some blockers in there that, that blocking the release, obviously. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's going to happen pretty soon, it looks like. Yeah, I think, they, I think they're aiming before Christmas. I hope it's Christmas for this year, though. Okay. Mm-hmm. Unless, and that's a Christmas present? Mm, yep. Didn't Rails 3 come out like before Christmas or something? Yeah, I think so. And for Rails 3, they were actually like aiming for release during, during the RailsConf. Mm. But then, yeah, it delay so bad sure that happens so let's talk about some of the features that are going to go into this this new release and you actually gave a talk uh, a couple weeks ago right right at uh, boston rb Mm -hmm. which is our our awesome local boston ruby group yep and um so one thing we'll definitely link to that Mm -hmm. uh, talk your your slides and actually there's a video too right yep there's a video we can link to that video in the show notes um which we will tell you how to get to at the end of the podcast um, but let's talk about some of these features. Okay. Um, so the first thing, and sort of the big one, I think, is strong parameters. Yes. So if someone has no idea what that means, can you just sort of give a quick overview? Okay. So strong parameters uh, is actually going to be the default way of uh, sanitize your parameters in Rails 4. So instead of using an attribute accessible in the model, you would instead write in which parameters you're going to use uh, you can allow into the model mm-hmm. uh, right at the controller level. Okay. So it it is a replacement for attribute accessible. Okay. In RESTful. So adder accessible goes away entirely. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be extracted as a gem first. So you still can use attribute accessible. Yeah. But uh, I would uh, discourage you to use it because. You don't need that anymore. Okay. Is that the main difference that you specified in the controller instead of the model, or are there other differences as well? Oh. Uh, yeah, that's basically pre- pretty much it. that's the difference. So okay. I actually like the way that it's going to be that this way though, because that actually means you specify which like parameters you you want to goes into a, a particular controller mm-hmm. instead of like say specify it at at the model level. So like for example, if if you have like an admin controller, which you might want to allow them to edit everything. And like users on controller, where you want you might want to, them to edit just uh, email, password, uh, their name. That's like way easier to implement with strong parameters compared to like using attribute accessible. It seems more granular. Mm-hmm. You don't just decide once for a model what's able to come in. Mm-hmm. It's per controller. That, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that's the main change there. Nothing else substantial for strong parameters. Uh, not really. Yeah, that's 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 actually the main change. Okay. So, so I mean, I would I would encourage people to start using it right now, actually, because okay. it's it's, al- it's already support with Rails uh, three to eight. So. Okay, so you can go ahead and switch to this before mm-hmm. the upgrade. Yep, which would probably make your upgrade go a little more smoothly later. Yeah, that's one of the things that we definitely learned about doing sort of hairy Rails three upgrades mm-hmm. was if you can do parts of it ahead of time. Yep, it's going to make your life easier later because mm-hmm. you're just just trying to do less at once. Uh, cool. So next feature, uh, Rails Q. Yes. So what is the Rails Q at a high level? So yeah, so Rails Q is going to be the standard API for the queuing system in Rails. Mm-hmm. So on the back end, whether you're using a Ruby queue, using Redis, delay job, or anything, uh, starting from Rails 4, uh, regardless of what the back end you're using, mm-hmm. you can use this Rails queue API to push the job into the queue and mm-hmm. then pop the job file and then work gotcha. on it. So it's a unified API mm-hmm. regardless of what your queue backend looks like. Yep. Okay. And that's nice because then you sort of abstracted away the details of which queue implementation you're using. Right. So you can swap them out later if you need to. Right. So, I mean, for example, uh, you might want to use a Ruby queue, which ships with like Ruby 1.9 mm-hmm. in your test and mm-hmm. your de- development environment. But then you might want to switch to Redis when you're on production. Like Rescue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rescue. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Or like delayed jobs or something. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. That does sound nice, actually. Yeah. And it's interesting. That's actually something that I find myself doing um, pretty frequently anyway, is writing a sort of wrapper around external things that I'm using. Mm-hmm. So rather than have like a bunch of calls to specifically delayed job within um, my business logic, I'd like to have like an intermediate layer, which is like a queuing thing. Right. It's just some simple delegation, really, but it just keeps those details from kind of leaking out. Yep. And it sort of insulates you from change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and... and uh... The, the interface that they're, they're introducing, actually, it is actually easy to, like, build upon as well. So if you want to have, like, a new queuing system, you can build uh, you can build it on top of this. And, mm. yeah, it's, it's going to be easy. It's, it is actually, like, active model when, like, when, if, you ha- if you want to have a, an object that, acts like an active record but without the backend you would uh, make it an active model compatible mm-hmm. but same thing so here uh gotcha. for queuing you would make it as a rails queue compatible gotcha. and so it just it just has to respond to certain method calls mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you can sort of like probably register i guess your your whatever yep. queuing thing is somewhere mm-hmm. and it can an initializer somewhere and then you're good to go yep and that will really be handy for development stuff, like because in development you probably want queues to just process immediately, right? Probably even in the same thread, right? Uh, or to, in test even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by default, uh, Rails four is going to ship with, uh, with the asynchronous queue and synchronous queue. Both of them are uh, triggers. Uh, well, both of them are using Ruby queue, and the synchronous one will just uh, process the job right away. Yep. Why, why would you want to use a synchronous queue? When you're in the test, Oh, in test. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, cool. And then, and then the asynchronous one will uh, open up a thread and then execute your job concurrently. Got it. Makes sense. Uh, next is cache digests. Yes. So this relates to the somewhat infamous Russian doll caching mm-hmm. feature that's, that people have been talking about. Yes. So what are cache digests? So let's... Uh, 
back up a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking mm-hmm. about caching. So, I think I think I heard some like someone saying like the one of the hardest uh, programming or like computer computer science problem is actually cache uh, expiration mm-hmm. and this cache digest feature actually going to try to solve that problem for you okay so if if you if you don't know about the 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 russian doll caching so have you have you heard about the russian doll like a doll within a doll within yep, a doll absolutely yeah so basically it's almost the same thing it mm-hmm. is the uh uh, a child template template within a within a parent template within a par- another parent template. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got a, a web page and you have like a layout that has mm-hmm. all the external Chrome. Yep, and then maybe like a login box or mm-hmm. like you know, like some sort of content, and then within that con- there's like there's nested content within there. Yeah, and so the idea is that each level has its own ca- uh, cache. Yep, digest on it. Yeah, so basically you would cache each portion of the page. And the way the way you had to do it before, so let's say if you if you change something for the children, you have to expire the parents' catch. Okay. Because yeah, because the whole the whole page needs to be like render uh need to be re-rendered. Okay. So cache digest actually knows how to handle that hierarchy for you. And so instead of you having to like forcing the the template to update by yourself, mm-hmm. cache digest will handle that by it will know the dependency and change the timestamp and make the cache expire. Okay, so you're going to have to tell the cache digest system somehow what the relationship is between the objects, right? Actually, no. It's actually smarter than that. By it, it would detect your will looking at like how you call the cache methods. Okay. So, like, Let's say if you have a topic partial that has a post partial in there, both of them would just call a cache method and cache digest would detect the hierarchy by itself. When you change something in the post partial, it would expire the topic partial automatically. As well? As well. I thought yes. you didn't want to expire all the parents. You just wanted to expire the children. No, you have to expire parents. Okay, so before you had to handle that by hand, now mm-hmm. it notices that this one partial is nested in the other mm-hmm. and knows that if the child changes, the parent has to change as well. Yep, yep. Got it, okay. Mm-hmm. So this basically makes cache expiration more straightforward because it looks at your templates right. and sort of parses out what's going on mm-hmm. and then figures out how to expire things. Yep. Okay. It seems like this is uh so it's interesting how many features we have that are uh pulled from Basecamp next. Right. This is this is actually the way that them they could make the Basecamp next so fast. Mm. Mm-hmm. As they made a heavy use of caching. Yeah, a lot of caching. And I think if I recall correctly, they have like eight hundred and sixty four gigabytes of RAM for their memcache server. Right. So so this came out of a pain they had with figuring out how to expire caches, mm-hmm. I guess. And yeah. this just makes it easier to figure out which caches to bust. Right. Got it. Okay. Um, so is this going to be on by default? This is, yes, it is going to be on by default. And is it, it is actually usable uh, with Rails 3.2.8 as well. Okay. So if you are using caching in Rails 3.2.8, then you should give this a try. Okay. 
Uh, next, uh, there are some changes to relation, right? Yep. That's a, some pretty heavy changes, if I if I remember correctly. Right. There's a lot of changes to the relation. Okay. And and this, so this is like the base relationship between two uh, active record objects, right? Nope. The, nope. This is the the active record relation. Active, so okay. it is this the scope method. Okay. So like name scope, like all that stuff. Okay. But yeah. So this is what gets returned if you call something like user dot all. Yeah. That returns a relation. Yeah. That's ac- actually. That's one of the change. So it used to return the array, but now it would return the relation object. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So if you if you do so, like it used to be that if you wanted actually the array of users, you could say mm-hmm. user to uh, user to all. Yeah. So what what would you need to do now to actually fire the relation? Because they're they're sort of lazily evaluated, right? Yeah. So you have to do relation dot two a. Okay. Two underscore a. Gotcha. So I could say user dot all dot two a, mm-hmm. and that would cause it to go retrieve the users and actually. Yeah. Or you could just call user dot two a. Mind blowing. <laughs> user dot two a works. Yes. You can call now user dot two a straight mm-hmm. up on the class, and that will go th- fall through to the relation. Yep. That's and, a, that's actually seems weird, but it does. Works. Yeah. It's like give me a array representation of user. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Interesting. Are there any other methods that got moved right on there onto the base class like that? Mm, not really. But there, there's actually a relation dot none. Okay. So followed by the the now now object pattern, uh, this uh, this new uh, relation dot none will return nothing. Okay. Does it return an empty relation? It is. Yeah. It is returning an empty relation. The good thing for using the relation dot none in, instead of returning the empty array uh, is that you you still can chain another relation methods. Gotcha. So a method could return relation dot none, and then in the controller you might still call like paginate. Uh huh. Right. So it lets it, it prevents it. It's a null relation, basically, right? Yep. So it lets you get rid of checks for nullness, mm-hmm. right? So if at some point of the ch- in the chain of relations, mm-hmm. you end up returning nothing, rather than returning an empty array, you can return this none relation. Right. And it will respond to the methods that a relation responds to, but mm-hmm. just with, like, emptiness, effectively. Yep. Gotcha. So you, if you call 2A on that, it's going to give you an empty array, mm-hmm. or you could call other methods on it, and it but it won't blow up. Right. That's great. That's awesome. I like to see that coming into Rails. Yeah, that's actually like fo- following the tilde X. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. Unless you follow tilde X because you can just keep on firing me- messages at it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the talks that I've been giving recently talking about refactoring, uh, I say that sort of awareness of the null object pattern has been one of the biggest improvements, I think, in my code recently. Mm-hmm. Um, just knowing and when you realize that it's a good opportunity to use it, it's just it's tremendously powerful. Yeah. Gets rid of so many conditionals. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Glad to see that coming. The the other thing is that now relation would support the bank method. Like there are a lot of re- there are a lot of methods such as like where bang, from bang, unique bang. So so yeah. So in Rails 3 if you're using the relation, it will create a new object every time you call it. Okay. So this bank method would instead mutate the relation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So instead of having to do like users equals users dot where blah, 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 uh-huh. you would do users dot where bang, blah, blah, blah. And then it will mutate I see. that. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. 
So rather than returning a brand new relation, mm-hmm. you're going to mutate the existing one. Yep. Interesting. Okay, that sounds reasonably handy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's handy sometime when, let's say, like, in the controller, you want to fire, like, uh, you want to call a scope when there there's parameter exists. Like, let's say, like, category ID, then you could do, like, if uh, category's ID is not new, then fire this. Oh, okay. Update the, the current relation yeah, you're working up, with. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, anything else changing on relation? Yeah, the the last thing actually, this is gonna make our life easier. So now relation dot first and relation dot last will return the record based on the ID. Okay. Doesn't don't they already do that? Nope. Yeah, this is this is like the programmer's gotcha right here. Okay. So it used to be that if you do user dot first, it will return the first record, but the first record that returns from the database might not be that id equals one mm. uh so now that would go away but won't but wouldn't it be always it would be the lowest number id right nope nope so if so okay so if i let's say i have two users mm-hmm. so i have user id one user id two mm-hmm. if i say user at first it returns the one with id one that is actually not always in rails 3 Okay, when would it? What would cause it to be different? Uh, I I haven't I haven't looked into it much, but it occurs to me whenever whenever using like MySQL, I think if you don't specify the order, the database might returns the rows out of order. Really? Yeah. So there's a chance that saying user dot first, so user dot first can be different across different databases. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so that's I had like no idea. that's like a pitfall. Like like you would. You would think that when you call like user.first, you would always get the first user in the database. Yeah. Maybe not. Really? Weird. Yeah. But now you do. Now you do. Yes. Okay. Now in I don't think do. I've ever been bitten by that. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just lucky. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so some databases don't necessarily use like lowest ID to mean first user mm-hmm. or yep. highest to mean last. Yeah. Yeah. So now when you call, when you call first uh, or when you call last, it's it's going to add the order clause to, to, to the SQL. and now you get the right user you want. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Good. I think I'm starting to understand. So if you said user at first, is it, does it select all the users? It doesn't return all the users. No. What's, just, what's the SQL generated when you master the first user? Select star from users uh, order by ID limit one. Okay. That's what happens now. Yep. And then what happens with the new code? Oh, wait. That was that was a new code. Okay. Okay. So what's the old old SQL? Okay. Uh, it was select star from users limit one. Okay. Interesting. So it didn't specify an order. Mm-hmm. So you'd probably get it in ID order, but maybe in primary key order, but mm-hmm. maybe not. Maybe not. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Well, that seems like a reasonable thing to do yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. All right. Good. Um, anything else? Nope, that's that's the last thing. That's it for relation. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about uh, notable deprecations? Anything big going away? Uh, well, the biggest thing that going away is active resource. Mm. Yeah. Say goodbye to that big guy. <laughs> active resource is not really well maintained by the Rails community. Mm-hmm. So instead of shipping that and then have the same release cycle as Ruby on Rails, they think that it would be better to extract as a gem. Okay. So 
Now, starting from Rails 4, if you want to use active resource, you still can add that gem to your project. Mm-hmm. It's just another line your gem file and run mm-hmm. bundle install. But it's not part of the, the Rails package anymore. Yeah, it's not part of it anymore. Okay. And it will not have the same release cycle. Okay. So that could mean a good that could that would mean good things though. It it probably means that if there is a problem within an active resource, it may get released faster than Rails. Right. Makes sense. Uh has there been any moves to um find different contributors for that or anything? Mm. Or different maintainers, or is it just 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 moving out of Rails proper? It just moved out Rails proper. Okay. I mean, actually, I was the one who removed it. Oh yeah, yeah, I was the one who submitted the pull request. But you said so crazy. Yeah, then my name is actually one of the maintainer. Ah, I still get the emails every night uh, coming for like pull request issue uh, or like new issues on Active Resource. Uh huh. Interesting. So you're actually, I was looking, you're, you're number 31 on the contributors list these days. Yeah. That's pretty good, man. So you hang out in the uh, contributors campfire room? Yes. Is that a public thing or is that private for, what's, what's the deal there? It is a... Uh, is it top secret? Can we talk about it? Yeah, we can actually. It is a, I think it's a private room. I, okay. uh, it is an invitation only. So mm-hmm. like if you, if you actually contribute for quite a while mm-hmm. and... You might get like a, a pub, public invite mm-hmm. from from the Rails core team. Mm-hmm. So usually we just come in here and like discuss about the features and mm-hmm. other stuff. Interesting. But yeah, the core team actually has another Rails core ah. campfire room ah. mm-hmm. that I would love to get into, but <laughs> not my time yet. Okay, I'm working on it. Yep. I mean, if you if you crack the top twenty, who knows? Ooh, yeah. It'd be hard to say no to you, right? Mm-hmm. What's uh? So what happens in the uh, in this the secret chat room with the the contributors? Just discussion of features and things like that. Yeah, discussion of features. Uh, it is the best way to get attention from the Rails core team. You could ping the chat and get the response like sometime right away, but sometime like in an hour after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and most most of the core team are hanging out in there. Cool. So hmm, interesting. So. Do you uh, merge stuff into Rails? Like, do you review pull, polls and things like that, or I, issues? Yeah, I do. I do review pull requests, but then I, mean, I I don't have a permission to like uh, merge stuff in yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what uh, what can people do to make your life easier? Like when you're there reading when you're reading issues and pull requests, things like that. Do you see common problems? Yeah, the common problem I found is that people creating an issue which actually a feature request. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if you are creating the issue with a feature request, that's actually gonna get closed right away, mm. and then you would be, you you should be create those feature requests in the uh, Rails call mailing list instead. Okay. We try to separate the the issue and feature request apart because the number of issues on the GitHub is actually a lot. That that's that's one other thing. The the other thing is that when you creating an issue, if you can reproduce it in like a new Rails app, just create a new Rails app with the rep, uh, reproducible state mm-hmm. and push to GitHub and let us like play with it. Yeah, that's actually the easiest way we can like figure out what's going on with the bug yeah. that you found. Give like a minimal case that just mm-hmm. shows off the bug. Yep. Totally. That's that's good bug reporting 
etiquette anyway. Mm-hmm. That's pretty. Yeah, standard. and like if you if you come into like Rails issue and you say like, oh my god, my apps break, we wouldn't be able to like fix anything. Like I would, I mean, I would still have to go back to you and like, can you give me a failing test case? That's mm. that's like that's take times. Sure, of course. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing is give give minimal examples that show mm-hmm. exactly what's wrong. Yep. Um, what's a good way for someone to get their first commit into Rails? Uh, I imagine a lot of people look at it and they're sort of intimidated by it. like it's how do you find something to fix or how do you contri- like how do you know what to contribute? See the 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 funniest thing was that my first commit was actually coming from something that I found in Rails that I was so annoyed by it mm-hmm. like. And then I realized, I realized that, yeah, I want to fix this thing. So, so, so you, you scratched your own itch. You found something that was bothering you. Yeah, yeah. And went after it. So mm-hmm. was it a bug or was it just sort of a, a changing the way things work? I think it was a bug. Okay. It, it was a bug in like uh, Inflector. The uh, ir- yeah, Irregular Inflector okay. thing. So, I mean, yeah. that I think it caused, a pro- it caused the problem in my application. So I was like, yeah, I want to fix it. But, okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I sometimes will tell people is that um, documentation patches are a really good right, way to get right. involved. Mm-hmm. Um, fixing like little typos in the in the, the Rails guides or writing a new one if you mm-hmm. think or just reworking it. Like I think that's a really good way to get your feet wet. Yeah. See, the the thing is, uh, if you if someone wants to get into the documentation, it is actually easier mm-hmm. than uh, than doing the the normal patch because you can actually request a push permission to leave for Rails, which is actually the place where all the documentation patch right. should go. That's actually everyone can push to that yep. right now. So it's LIFO and the, the repository is the username slash doc rails. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's basically a clone or a fork of Rails itself. Yeah, it it and, is a fork of Rails and it is uh it's merged sort of back and forth with mm-hmm. Rails, right? They merge from there into Rails and Rails back into there. Yep. So if you make a, you can, all documentation changes can mm-hmm. happen there. Yeah. And you don't need to get them, like they get reviewed by, I think, Xavier when he merges back yeah. into Rails, but you don't have to like get permission ahead of time. You can mm-hmm. just push up com- some commits and yep. they're there. Just push it up and then like, if you, if they found out that it's not good, they're going to reward it anyway. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've, that's, that's where I got my start on Rails commits. Mm-hmm. I think I have a lot of uh, doc Rails. I mean, if you go to like, Ruby on Rails guide nowadays, you would still see like there are a lot of places with like a yellow banner telling like this is a work in progress. Uh huh. Yeah. We definitely need a lot of hands to help on that stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. To make it done. Sure. So mm-hmm. those Rails guides actually live in the Rails repo. So mm-hmm. feel free to dive. So look at, look at the Rails guides. If you see ones that need improving, just dive in there mm-hmm. and that's a perfect way to get started. Yeah. And I mean, like, even if you are a beginner or like just start. Uh, using Ruby on Rails, it is actually going to help another beginners if you start uh, working on the guide because there might be some part that like we who like use Rails for like four years might miss it or like n- not really know what to put it on the Rails guide. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I've heard someone say, and I think it's true, that beginners are actually in the best Mm-hmm. Uh, best place to improve documentation mm-hmm. because they're new to the project. Right, you can see what's deficient. Mm-hmm. So if you struggle with understanding something, you're you're notice what you don't understand, and then when you learn it, go back and improve it. Yep, give back a little bit. You selfish jerks. <laughs> so uh, 
Prem, uh, how would people get in touch with you if they wanted to ask you some questions or follow up on the podcast? So uh, they can obviously uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh-huh. I'm Sikashu on Twitter. How do you spell that? S-I-K-A-C-H-U. Okay. So it's actually like from Pikachu. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, just with this. <laughs> with an P S. with S. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, awesome. I think that actually wraps things up. Mm-hmm. But uh, thank you very much for coming by and chatting. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to do it. Uh, a couple things I want to mention before we go. Uh, the Rails Rumble is coming up very soon. Uh, registration is October 1st through October 7th with a competition of the weekend of October 13th and 14th. Just in case you don't know, uh, the Rails Rumble is a competition where you'll have a team of up to four people and you have 48 hours to build a Rails app or any rack-based app, really. Um, I did the Rails Rumble back in 2009 and it was an awesome experience. Uh, I loved doing it. Made a ton of like really good Ruby friends that I still hang out with today. Like it, it actually like really affected my career very positively. Yeah. So I totally recommend if you're even thinking about it at all, get some friends together, make a fun weekend of it, uh, do some late night coding, and uh, enjoy the heck out of it because it's I just just do it. It's great. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure like a lot of Dubot folks gonna enjoy it as well. So yeah, if you're in Boston, you want to come by the office. Uh, I'm sure it'll be open for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and otherwise, look around your area. Even if even if your company's not doing it, chances are there'll be some place that's got this doing it and open, so you can just find some other people to hang out with and, and hack with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fully recommend it. So if you're interested, uh, Rails RailsRumble.com. And like I said, registration is October first through seventh. So get your registration in there. Also, a couple events I want to mention before we go. Uh, I'm going to be giving uh, a talk called Refactoring from Good to Great. Uh, first time, it will be at uh, Aloha Ruby, October 8th through 10th, and then later at RubyConf, November 1st through 3rd in Denver. Uh, if you're going to be at either of those places, reach out and say hi. Uh, Mike Burns is going to be giving a talk called The Expression Problem, October 30th at the Riga Ruby Group in Latvia. Mike is also giving a talk called Scala on Android, October 9th at the Stockholm Google Technology User Group. Both Mike and I are all over the place. Yeah, you are like international speaker. <laughs> Just uh, doing it for the travel. Yeah. Are you are you going to promise that you're going to like wear a, like a do a aloha dance when when you're giving a talk at Hawaii? Uh, yes, I am going to promise that. <laughs> That's a great idea. Uh, this has been episode 14 of the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. You can get all the notes and links to things that we talked about in this episode online at thoughtbot.com/podcast/14. Today's podcast was recorded by Shauna Quintal, edited by the one and only Edward. Love all and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening.